0: The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. And Steve Peters. Welcome into episode 279 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast alongside Craig Morgan. I'm here. <laughs> and Steve Peters.
1: Seriously? Not only do I need a catchphrase, I need theme music too. Like the stakes and the bar just keeps getting raised every week, Craig. That's a lot yeah. of pressure. A lot of pressure.
2: Somebody wanted mariachi music, which
1: then get it. troubles me. So Cinco de Mayo, it was a few days ago. A few days so ago. This, so this week, I get
0: it. Uh, I'm Luke Lipinski, and I got to say, right off the top of the show, first of all, rate and review if you uh, if you haven't yet, please on iTunes. It helps the show get to everybody. Craig, um, Bob Heathouse, esteemed member of the one of the best broadcasters, a, a true great, nicest guy in the world. Asked me yesterday at the game, why does Craig say the Natty Hatty the way he does in intros? And I didn't have an answer. I don't remember why that ever
2: even started. And then you didn't do it to start this show. <laughs> Just to throw him for a loop. <laughs> you know what? I don't remember either. It's been so long. I have no idea why we started that. Yeah, this show is uh, is but basically is. one one There's big no inside great joke
0: story. Sorry. Well, there is, but you have to listen to the first two hundred seventy eight episodes to, to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, get on that. Yeah. All right. We are going to start with the topic I didn't want to start with, but I feel like we just get this out of the way, and then we can move on to actual hockey. Just um, at the Catharsis for you, Luke? No, it's not. Like we got to the point where people were talking about Tom Wilson so much this week that I stopped listening to any national hockey shows or anything because this all should have been ironed out four years ago. So I don't need to hear about it again. Like this is not the first time Tom Wilson has done this. Um, I I think anybody that listens to this podcast already knows my take. Uh, we can revisit it when he does something similar in the first round of the playoffs to somebody else.
2: Where would you say you are in your ongoing therapy for Tom Wilson? Now, three years? Uh, uh, years? I would say probably closer to five years. It's okay. basically been since we
0: started this podcast. I think I will finish my healing the day he retires.
1: How's that? That's fair. I, I, I'm going to come on it. I, I don't know what all the the past takes are and what, what everybody's opinion is of this. I, I'm a little frustrated as a hockey fan. First of all, you know, the hockey insider, but, but a hockey fan like that, that game, that second game was, was an absolute embarrassment to the league. I mean, 140 minutes and penalties, fight filled, there's no flow to the game and the TJ Oshie short story, which should have been a feel good story. One of the best stories of the season gets absolutely lost because of this, um, when I look back at the the incident that occurred in the first game, you know, the Tom Wilson-Buchnevich and Panarin incident, I have a hard time... Calling the department at the league the Department of Player Safety. Now, if you want to call it the you know Player Disciplinary Committee or something about player discipline, maybe. But if you're talking about player safety, a player without a helmet on gets slew foot to the ice, and another player whose arms are trapped at the side of his body gets his nose buried into the ice. I, I don't know how that's being safe to the players. I I think this whole thing could have been avoided, even with a minimal one game suspension. This doesn't get talked about. It's not a story. We move on. And now here we are four days later talking about it. Having said that, I was part of, of a team that had Rafi Torres on it that that lit up Hossa in the playoffs. And he gets a 25-game suspension that I, at the time I said wasn't deserved because he was on – the team I was working for. And I tell you what, the playoffs would have been much different if Rafi Torres is on the ice versus the LA Kings in the Western finals. Um, So I'm trying to look at it from both sides. Tom Wilson's ironically, he's an effective hockey player. He can play offensive. he, He can make things happen that way, but too much time is spent talking about the, this, The dangerous player. I think he's a dangerous player. I I I hope that the league is still trying to phase that kind of hockey out. The dangerous player. um, You know, I hope after this discussion we can move past this. But but Luke, you're probably right. It's just a matter of time before we talk about it again.
0: We've talked about it so many times, and and, you know, I I understand you can look at each individual incident and be like, well, you know, if you if there's two sides to every story, you look at this angle and. He's done this like 40 times? Like, not that exact thing, but some version of it. I mean, three years ago, his M.O. was to hit defenseless rookies from behind in the head when they weren't looking. I mean, this you talk about getting rid of the uh, the dangerous play in hockey. I feel like the NHL, other than Tom Wilson, I feel like the NHL has done about as good of a job as you can. There aren't a lot of egregious repeat offenders in the NHL anymore. There really aren't. But for some reason, Tom Wilson gets his own set of rules, and I honestly am starting to believe it's because they they either – completely failed to acknowledge that he's done this before, or they're just measuring his plays where he crosses the line against previous plays by him, not against the actual rule book. I can't figure out which one it is, but I I could almost guarantee you the next five incidents we have in the NHL, at least four of them will be Tom Wilson and him flexing on the bench just shows he doesn't get it. When we started this podcast, my take used to always be, I'm sure he's a good guy off the ice. He needs to rein it in. I'm not even sure he's a good guy anymore. Honestly, like he loves this. The Capitals reinforcing it. I mean, I'm just back to my normal stance of if, if you're defending that guy, if you're truly defending him throughout his career, you just, I, I don't, I don't know what to do for you. You're clearly a Capitals fan at that point. I'm not saying if you're defending any individual hit, I, I get that there's gray area in each individual one. Like you can look at that play against the Rangers and be like, okay, maybe this wasn't as bad. But with Tom
2: Wilson, it's got to be the body of work. It's ridiculous that he's still allowed to do it and nobody else is allowed to do anything. Let's talk about what happened in that incident because, and I don't know what your experience has been with with the the people you've talked to, but I've talked with a surprising number of former players who had no problem with it, didn't think it was suspendable because he, Artemi Panarin jumped on his back as well. He didn't know who it was at the time. And basically, basically the explanation was once that happens, all bets are off. It's a melee at that point. And to me, that's an absurd argument because you are always in control of your own actions. And to say that because because it elevated to a certain level, you know, anything goes at that point. To, again, to me, that's just absurd that anyone can have that argument. So I don't know. Have you guys talked to players? First of all, ex-players. I don't want to name any names because I have great respect for a lot of the people that I've talked to. But I was just stunned by the responses I got from some.
1: Yeah, from the. The people that are involved, you, you're hearing that same response, Greg, that, that it was, it's a melee, it's a scrum, it's just part of the scrum. It, it happens every night. But be, before the scrum, what he actually got to, the the fine for wasn't it the punch, the, the defenseless punch to Bouchenevich, not the actual takedown of Panarin, was what he was fined for. That's where yeah. I, when you look at that, and again, I, I've seen it seen it too many times. I want to move on, but he he buries the guy's face into the ice and then punches him while he's down. That's the problem. The yeah. Panarin thing, it's a smaller, lighter player. He throws him down. It happens quickly. There's some debate between some players I've talked to whether it was a slew foot or not. I think I think he sweeps the leg and kicks his feet out. Players are saying no. You, you know what? I, I, I think it's hopefully... But Luke's point, it's going to happen again. We're going to be talking about this, whether it's next week, next month, next year. We're going to be talking to Tom Wilson again, you know, and and it's unfortunate. And I, I hope this element of the game, we want to see checking. We want to see physical play. It's hockey. But the players that are out there to actually injure another player or dangerous players, that, in my opinion has to come out of the game because the game has become so fast and these guys and the skill level is is elevated so high now that somebody's going to get seriously injured now because of the speed of the game. And the league is trying to sell their stars. You know, Panarin's a star of of the league. Now he's out for three games. I know it's just a few games, but still you can't have your stars being injured and missing any considerable length of time when the league is trying to market those players.
0: If the stance is like, okay, there's stuff happening in the heat of the moment, and the, the Panarin thing, if you can separate that from Buchnevich fine. Like, I I don't have a problem with that. Like, I get when when things are going and people are throwing punches and everything. I get that stuff happens. My bigger issue is again, you know, Tom Wilson's going to be at the center of it. And you talk about players that are trying to injure people. I honestly believe he's the only one in the NHL, and he's been doing it for years. And the oh, thing is, well, I got one can, more,
1: but. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Ryan Reeves?
2: No? Yeah. yeah he two might Coyotes be out for the year? Yeah. On Ryan yeah. Reeves. And still viewed as a clean player, by the way. I know. He's not. He's a dirty player.
1: Um, Internally, they view him as a clean player, at least for sure. To me, there are like, there's
0: three groups of people that look at what Tom Wilson does and say it's okay. There are like the former players who are looking at those two seconds and saying, well, that stuff happens. That's fine. Like, I didn't play in the NHL. I get that. But again, if you go body of work, there's only really two groups of people that, that can defend him. One are Caps fans that just have blinders on and they don't care. And if, if he was on a different team, they would hate him. And two, there is the group of like, well, you we legislate all the hits out of hockey. No, I, I would go the other way and say Tom Wilson doing the ridiculous, reckless stuff he's doing is actually going to get us to a point where they start taking good hits out of hockey to try and cut down on the injuries. Because when is the class action suit coming against him in 15 years from the 20 players that have permanent head damage because of Tom Wilson? It's not one incident. It's five-plus years of this trash.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm on board with all of that. You know, it, I've heard people say, too, that when you look at what happened, this is not a suspendable offense the way the rules are written. I got a problem with that, too. And and I cited this in the notes. I'm sure you remember this, Luke, when uh, Boris Diaw and Amari Stoudemire got suspended for coming off the bench after Robert Ory hit checked Steve Nash into the scorer's table. The greater offense clearly was Ory's infraction. The Suns ended up paying more for it in, in the end and probably gave up their one chance to win an NBA title to date because of that incident. To me, in these instances, this is where leadership steps forward and says, okay, the letter of the law may not say that this is suspension-worthy, but for the good of the league, for for you know the greater good... We need to step in here and levy a punishment. I think it's just an abdication of leadership when you don't step forward. I think it's the coward's way out when you don't step forward in an instance like this. It just, it feels like there's a
0: double standard for him and all the other players in the league. And again, I, I'm, you know where I'm coming from on this. I'm not looking yeah. at one specific play. I'm just saying in general, but like your league led ES, all of, all of the major like mainstream sports shows that don't talk about hockey enough. And and we knew when this happened, the second I saw Tom Wilson's name trending, I knew it was a garbage play and that it was going to lead. And everybody that isn't a hockey fan was going to be looking and being like, see, hockey can't get it together, which yep. isn't true. Like I said, I think the NHL has done an amazing job on 99.9% of the fronts. That it, I mean, you can't be a perfect league, but you're allowing Tom Wilson to be, the, in a lot of ways, the face of your league to people that don't follow hockey very closely, and it's just the same garbage three or four times a year. That's what you're showing to casual like NBA fans that only notice hockey if it pops up on Pardon the Interruption
2: or whatever. Right, Garage League, as Mario Lemieux called it. Let's talk about social media. Uh, the Caps, Caps, first of all, basically supporting violence. That was a bad move, and they at least they apologized for it and understood why it was wrong. But I don't know. The, the fact that that decision was made in the first place was just abhorrent to me. Then the Rangers come out. With the statements calling for Paros's head, basically, after they failed to suspend. Now, look, I I get that the Rangers were upset, but that's the kind of stuff that you have to do behind closed doors. This was clearly something that came from Jimmy Dolan, who we already know is a, a nut job. Um, From the way he ran the the Knicks. So you got to do it, I guess, if you're the social media folks. Otherwise, you're probably going to lose your job if you're not doing what the owner tells you. But that was poorly handled as well. Uh, I'm just curious what your guys take is on all of that. And then, of course, one day later, John Davidson and Jeff Gordon are fired. Coincidentally, we're told.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, this whole thing, and, and again, here we are spending 10 minutes on it. Like, this whole thing would have been avoided, this discussion avoided, the, the fines, the social media, if they suspend spend the guy for one game. Yep. Like it was so easy to get around this whole situation. The, hey, the Rangers were frustrated. The ownership was frustrated. They were angry. You know, they talked about a team that can't push back. They're not a tough team. The owner did what he thought, you know, emotionally at that time he needed to do. Um Right or not. Well, not right. It's wrong. You, you can't go after the league. They can pick up the phone and he can call the league directly. He's an owner for goodness sake. But this whole thing, it's all people are talking about around hockey and we're a week from the playoffs. That's the problem for me. This could have been avoided. We've had a great year. You know, you've got through the COVID year. We're almost to the playoffs, all of these things, you know, Connor McDavid on a tear. And here we are talking about Tom Wilson. It's a shame for the league.
0: Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with that. And we're going to move on from it, but that's, that to me is, I don't think it was fair for the Rangers to sit there and put all the blame on, on George Peros because this has been building for years and years. He could have done something to deter this five years ago. But yeah, here we are. Austin Matthews just scored 40 goals. Connor McDavid is insane. Like Petey said, the TJ Oshie story in that game the next time against the Rangers should have been the story. And once again, Tom Wilson has made himself the talking point around the league. He knows what he's doing. He's not an idiot. But it's ridiculous. I mean, it's it's just such a waste for such a good sport and, and for it to look like a circus in the mainstream media for the last week. It was avoidable. That's the thing. How about it was the optics avoidable?
2: of the difference in a $5,000 fine and a $250,000 fine for the, it's that, that, that hurts too. And it, there's nothing that can be done about that, but it just goes back to the original point of they should have acted when they needed to act. Yeah, so have. now we can move on. Go ahead, Luke.
0: Uh, okay. So I do want to bring up McDavid and Matthews. I actually want to start with Matthews. 40 goals in 49 games. So that's a 67 goal pace. And it's not like a 67 goal pace over four games. Like he's done it now for 49 games. Any other year, an absolute lock for the Hart Trophy, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know how he wins it this year with what McDavid's doing. McDavid's gonna have a hundred points in the fifty-six game season. It is unreal what these two guys are doing to have back to back number one overall picks deliver in such a way where they had just obscene expectations placed on them, and they're actually probably exceeding them at this point.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I was looking at McDavid this morning and the pace, because unfortunately, because of the season, it's a player the Coyote fans don't get to see. And and we haven't seen much of here in Arizona. To realize what kind of a pace he is on right now, he's averaging almost 1.8 points per game. And in a regular 82-game schedule, he'd be sitting at about 146 points. That hasn't been done in 25 years. And the, the last two players to do it were Mario uh, Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky. Like this is historic. Go ahead, Craig. All I said was who? <laughs> See, <laughs> who? And, and just, Coyote fans, put this in perspective, 142-point season, the highest point total by a Coyote in Coyote history is 86. So 146 is insane. Um it's just unfortunate for hockey fans around North America that, that everybody didn't get to see him play this year. And, and for Austin Matthews to put up the numbers that he's put up, these two players are so special and they're, they're so different too. You know, Austin Matthews brings a physicality to the game and, and he's tougher around the net. Connor McDavid may be the fastest player I've ever seen. So these are the exciting stories that people should be talking about around the league.
2: When I look at what I don't know how to factor this in because everybody's in the same boat, but we're in a condensed schedule too, so fatigue is a greater factor. Um, Granted, you're not traveling as much, so maybe that cancels it out. But this is a condensed schedule in which these guys are doing this as well, which to me just makes it all the more impressive. I I, what I have I can I can think of a half dozen plays this season where Connor McDavid has literally just made my jaw drop. I'm with you, Luke. Most seasons, Austin Matthews wins this running away. But I don't think he has a chance this year. I think the the trophy is off, is uh, Connor McDavid's without a doubt. You know, to Petey's point, it's tougher this year to see these guys. If
0: you if you're a fan of a specific team, and I think most hockey fans are, like sometimes you know, if you're a fan of the Blackhawks, but they're not playing that night, you might tune in on you know the center ice package and, and watch a bunch of different games or whatever. This year, everybody is kind of broken up into their four groups. If you're a fan of a team, you're probably just watching the other teams in that division. You got to put in the extra effort to find Connor mcdavid uh, i mean you should have been doing that anyway you can do it during the playoffs it's um it he does stuff i've never seen guys do on the ice not consistently you know occasionally you'll see a player make this crazy play and you're like wow where did that come from and then you kind of never see it again I And mean, then mcdavid does it every week it's it's just it's unbelievable and also to Petey's point he's the fastest player i've ever seen with the puck i heard an interesting conversation the other day on hockey central though they were like we always have somebody we're saying that about like every generation. Somebody will eventually come along faster than him. I don't even think my brain could process somebody
2: playing faster hockey than Connor McDavid does. I wonder what the how the game can manage more speed than it's got now. To, to me over the last 10 years it's It's insane how much faster it's gotten.
1: And that's where we talk about the safety of the players, too, with the speed. You make contact, physical contact at these speeds these players are reaching. Um, That's where you see the the greater incidence of of injuries. Uh, I'm excited for the playoffs. And we we can only hope for a McDavid-Matthews matchup in round two uh, because I think everybody in the sport is looking forward to that matchup.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, we don't have the playoff matchup set. We don't have all of the teams yet, and we'll do a, a playoff preview here uh, in about a week or so. But um, we do know that Carolina won the Central, and we do know that Tampa Bay and Florida are going to play in the first round. And we it sounds like Tampa Bay is going to get Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos back for that series. So that, right out of
2: the, the gate, that's a pretty fantastic first-round series. It really is. I can't wait to watch it. I love how the uh, that division is all – it's got a whole Southeastern flavor, all the teams that are going to make the playoffs. It's it's kind of a, the poster child for, you know, Sunbelt hockey and, and the NHL's great experiment. All these teams having success in those regions. When you look at what Florida, Tampa Bay, and Carolina have done this year, those are those are elite teams in the NHL right now, and they're all a product of that expansion to the Sunbelt.
1: Yeah, I think that, the, you know, I, I'm, Tampa Bay still the elite team in this division, um, I, I wonder what the contributions of Kucherov and Stamkos will be early. The longer they go in the playoffs, I think you'll see that more evident that those guys have a huge impact. Early, man, Kucherov's missed the whole year. Like that's, that's a hard, hard to go from zero to a hundred in a game or two. So I think you're going to see some, some growing pains there. Stamkos, he'll camp out on the side on the power play and he'll still get his points and his goals. But but I think it's going to take um, Kucherov a little bit longer to get going. Um, that division again, it's exciting. We talked about the Florida matchup right away out of the gate. I think that's exciting. But I still think of all. Well, I don't know if there are any playoff races. That you know, it looked like Dallas was dead and buried when, when Nashville beat them last Saturday, and here we are, two points back with four points up for grabs. So this literally is going to go till Monday. It's, it's exciting.
2: When I look at the, the matchups now, and you're right, that's the only one that's really up for grabs. And, and what Nashville only needs one win to clinch, right?
1: Yeah. Cause they win the tiebreaker. So the two yeah. points and they're in, but so, they have
2: Carolina twice. They do, but Carolina's clinched now. So I wonder if they rest guys. And I don't know. I don't know. Dallas
1: has Chicago twice. So gotcha. it's a, not, you know, it's, it's not yeah. a, it's not a done deal. I think the next, yeah. it'll be interesting.
2: I when had I think Dallas
1: all along, so we'll, well see. If, when yeah, I, I look at too.
2: matchups, like Carolina, if, if it's Carolina-Nashville, that's that's probably the only matchup that I see in the postseason that doesn't interest me, Of yeah. all the matchups when I go through these divisions. I mean, the way St. Louis has played, I think they're a dangerous team. I, I'm not sure if they can take down Vegas, but I think they're a dangerous team. All these matchups, to me, they're intriguing. Carolina
0: has the best record in hockey, too. I, I feel like that that's kind of been lost on people. And, yes, they're in a top-heavy division where when they play the bottom three teams, for sure, they're probably winning nine out of ten games. But they're in a division with Tampa Bay and Florida, and they do have the best record in hockey. Now, I don't think any of us thinks they're the best team in hockey, but still, if you're the Hurricanes, uh, to your point right there, I mean, they if they if they kind of rest some guys up or at least manage some minutes for some of these uh, these main players, they'll probably get Nashville in the first round if I'm Carolina, I'd rather play Nashville than Dallas. I, I know Dallas is underachieved this year, but it's been a very weird season for them. They were in the Stanley Cup last year. I would much rather get Nashville in round one if I'm the Carolina Hurricanes. So now I don't think that they would like alter the way they play to make sure that happens. Cause I don't think you want to go into the playoffs messing with your game, but uh, yeah, like you said, Craig, that's really the only, if that becomes a first round matchup,
2: that's the only one I look at. And I'm like, okay, I think we know who's going to win that one. Well, since they're playing them, though, you know, Carolina's playing nationally. If they're talking about playing them in the first round, you don't want to give the team an edge either, right, by letting True. them beat you in these last two games. So that at least, you know, you get one, a win in one of those and you're probably feeling good. Uh, we're going to have the coaching carousel coming up here, I, I mean, I guess as
0: soon. This is going to be weird this year because the season doesn't end on the same day for everybody. Yeah. And now, you, of course, you have the, uh, the the Kraken to factor into all this. But um, how, much, how much turnover – are you guys expecting this because this was such a strange year it's it's if you want to keep a coach around it's a lot easier to look and say yeah okay but they just had to play 56 games in like four months you know cramming in four or five games some weeks you know it's easy to kind of write that off and be like let's see what they can do over a full 82 next year
2: well i don't know what peter you had some thoughts on this but i you know it's funny while i was looking uh at the list of NHL coaches, Rick Tockett is now the ninth longest. Yeah. He has the ninth longest tenure of any NHL coach. So he's already in the top third. He's only in his fourth season. That just shows you how much turnover there is in the coaching profession in in the NHL. When you look at the guys that are, uh, that have seniority, first off, I don't know why Jeff Blaschel has, has had as long a leash as he's had. I don't get that. I'll still never understand that, but it seems like he's not in any danger. But then there are other guys on that list, like John Tortorella, I think we're all agreed is he's gone after this season. What happens if Winnipeg goes out? Is Paul Maurice gone? Travis Green is is up in Vancouver. You could have like as many as four guys in the top 10 or even five if Rod Brindamore decides not to come back to Carolina that are gone after this season. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, I think you're going to see some changes to what level those changes occur. I'm not sure. I think Carolina is going to find a way to get Brindamore back. Um, Winnipeg? Honestly, they need to win. And Paul Maurice has had the opportunity of a teams whose Stanley Cup window is wide open, is now starting to shut. He's got to win. I, I think we, like you said, Tortorella, it, that will be a change there. Detroit's interesting to me. Um, because I don't know if Steve, Steve Eisman believes they're ready to win today. Um, and because of that, you might see Blashell one more year. Um, I, I think it's long overdue, but you might might see that go another year. Um, but there's so many teams like Buffalo. Do they keep their interim coach? Montreal. Do they keep their interim coach? Um, Vancouver? i the rumors are that, that Travis Green, they're at least in discussions and it's getting closer. And, and you know, the, the elephant in the room is, is Rick talking. Um, the likelihood, the longer this goes, that there's been no discussions reported in the media. I think it's more likely that he does not return next year. Um, I'd be surprised to see him behind the bench, but uh, again, being in the league this long, nothing can surprise you anymore. So then you start looking at, okay, wh- who's, who's next here. And Craig, I'm curious to see what what you think. And, you know, I've read some names that I just don't see as good fits. And then I've got a couple, um, that I think might be here.
2: Yeah. We didn't even mention David Quinn, by the way, who's probably going to be gone as the Rangers coach after nope. the season too. So we need to figure out what the Rangers. I, I'm completely mystified by what the
0: Rangers are doing. We can come back to that. I, I obviously want to stay here with the with the Coyotes and talk it, but I don't understand
1: what, understand what New York's doing.
2: Glasses, and then maybe that'll help you understand <laughs> things a little better.
1: Yeah, I think but Quinn's. It's, it's, it's tough, tough because of the, the relationship crazy lenses. The The relationship with Quinn and Drury is is a very tight knit friendship and i personally would be surprised to see quinn out of a job this summer i'd be surprised
0: i thought the rangers rebuild was going faster than expected i thought they were a consider- good team
1: yeah I thought they're a good team they're going the right direction they did a lot of good things this season that they built upon from last year they're going the right direction i'm dumbfounded
0: you're getting nothing out of capo caco yet which is fine it's still early everybody would have made that pick though and you still turn things around as quickly as you have also side note real quick on detroit not terrible this year, like not good, but not as bad as they've been the last few years. And same same point total as Calgary at this point, which is crazy. Wow. But uh, yeah, back to the Coyotes here. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. I I think it would be. I, I don't think that them missing the playoffs is Rick Tockett's fault. I think in a lot of ways, them being this close is because of Rick Tockett. So, I mean, depending what happens behind the scenes, whose decision it would be to move on if that actually happens, you know, I, I, I'll wait and see what happens there. But I. I I think Rick Tockett has done a pretty decent job with this group. They've improved every year until this year.
2: This is as much about Rick Tockett's decision as it is the Coyotes, too. I, you know, yeah. as I've written before, he's evaluating the situation. He wants to know what the plan is for the future with his franchise. He's got to feel comfortable with that. You know, if you if you think, oh, my God, we're, we're three, four years out from, you know, being competitive, do you want to be around for all that? I don't know. Or do you even believe in the vision? Those are all questions that he's probably asking himself. And, and look, they're going to have discussions. That's going to happen next week after, the, after exit meetings with the players, the, 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 coach and, you know, we talk it and uh, Bill Armstrong will sit down and they'll have a talk about this, where it goes from there. I don't know. I, I'm with PD at this point. I, I think it's trending toward unlikely, but you never know what happens in those meetings, what sort of conversations they have.
1: Yeah, and and Rick Tuckett has you know personal investment here in Arizona. I mean, he, he, I'm sure there's there's a part of him that would like to stay here, and he's you know his personal life. He's been here for a long time as a player and as a as a as an assistant coach and now a head coach. He has. Emotional ties to Arizona. So I, I think that that may hold some weight. And these, like you said, Greg, these these conversations with management, they could go from zero to to getting signed very quickly. Um, so I don't want to say that there's no chance. I, I don't want to put any of the blame on missing the playoffs on Rick Tockett. We've talked about goaltending injuries and taxi squad players and the ability inability to have a number one center all season. All of these things are much greater reasons for missing the playoffs. Um, but you, you have to... to yeah, no, I know, I... Kindly,
2: and you, both, you start looking slow. Old defense. Uh, we we could just keep going here. I mean, it, it's it dumbfounds me that that people blame him, and then yeah. then we get back to oh, it's the it's the system he runs. You mean the one that's the same as every other NHL team?
1: <laughs> system played to me. We, we you, Gerard Glant wins coach of the year and the next year gets fired. How do you go from being the best coach to you don't know how to coach anymore? It, it's amazing. We were talking, Rick Talkett has been in the Jack Adams discussion in his tenure here in Arizona. So now he can't coach? Like, the, I, I've been amazed by that show me a good goaltender and a good team and i'll show you a good coach like it's uh, honestly there there are times and there are teams Craig where you and i could stand behind the bench and open the door and we you know clearly we wouldn't get as many wins but that, that Having a good team helps you be a good coach. So let's not label Rick Talkett has forgotten how to coach over the year. It just hasn't happened. And furthermore, his name has been brought up in at least five teams for next year. So if if they part ways here in the next few weeks, I don't anticipate he'll be on the market for very long. I, I think he'll be behind an NHL bench next year.
2: Let me ask you this, though. With with the experiences that Rick has had, if he does leave, and and again, this is all hypothetical. Go back to what we said earlier. This is not a done deal yet that he's leaving. Discussions could change that. If he goes to another team, given the experiences that he has had in Tampa and Arizona where he is, he hasn't been given all the cards to succeed, do you think... I don't know if he'll be, he'll even have the opportunity to be more selective, but do you think he'll want to be more selective with the situation that he chooses because of that? Or will it just come back to there are only 32 of these jobs in the NHL, so you got to take what's available?
1: It's honestly a little bit of both because I, and again, it's my personal belief that he will have more than one team. Um, to choose from this this off season, I believe there are going to be several courting him. I, I just have that feeling. Then he can take the the best fit for him amongst those teams. But to say, hey, I got to pass up an opportunity. There's a lot of former NHL coaches that have been out of league one, two, three years and may never find their way back because you know, it. it, it like you said, there's 32 jobs and there's always new guys coming in. And right. so, I don't think you can sit a year out unless you're, you know, John Tortorella probably can. He can yeah, If and, he leaves Columbus, he can take a year off and he's still going to be at the top of that list. But I'm sure people thought that about Gerard Gallant and he's still sitting at home. Yeah. Um, Bruce Boudreau, Claude Julian, these are names that are experienced veteran guys that names they'll come up in Arizona. I do not see a guy like that here in Arizona. That'd I don't see that. an experienced guy here. Yeah. Um, so you start looking at the other names in Arizona and you've got a couple different categories as it were you've got guys that are here you got Phil Housley who's been a head coach before uh, and still under contract and interestingly you had Jay Verde who's been a head coach in the American League and I've heard some internal um, grumblings about his name um, then you've got that the group of St. Louis Blues connected people that are attached to Bill Armstrong and the top of that list for me is Mike Van Ryan yeah. I think he was an assistant coach in St. Louis won the Stanley Cup there was a head coach with the Arizona Coyotes uh, minor league team in Tucson so he has some head coaching experience within the organization that who that's who I have is the top of the list um, I think he would probably fit in the right price and budget for a Coyotes team um, he can grow with their young players so I think that's the most likely of the choices uh, but St. Louis you got to look at two other guys that are out of the league Kirk Muller who was at St. Louis um, with Bill Armstrong in, in 2014. And then you've got Mike Yo, who was in St. Louis for three years, um, Both experienced head coaches in the NHL and fighting to get back to that that head coaching job again. Um, And then lastly, you bring in that that group of assistant coaches that have been head coaches. You know, Todd Nelson, Dave Hackstall. Those guys are there that they're fighting for their next head coaching opportunity. So I think there will be a longer list than people realize once this opens up um, and if Rick Tockett is not to come back.
2: Yeah, I'm in complete lockstep with you on all of that. I don't think it's going to be a veteran guy, um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, I do, if, if they go this route, I think they'll want a younger voice anyway. And I do think it would fit more within their budget. I think you have to look at the St. Louis connection. So Van Ryan is definitely on my list. I think Jay Verity could be as well, uh, a little <laughs> less experience. Um, the way this process will work though is they'll identify a bunch of candidates and I think it's going to be, Brian DeCord again, who's the guy that's going out and identifying all those candidates? They'll whittle it down to a list. They'll probably they'll probably get the like five guys that are on their list. They'll whittle it down to three, and those are the guys that they'll interview that they really uh, consider seriously for the job.
1: And this will are unfold you, over the next week to ten days. I think the next time we get together, this will we'll have a clearer idea of what's going to be going on.
0: It is interesting if you just look at the list of NHL coaches that that have been with the team that they're currently coaching. Since before 2017, it's six guys. And to Craig's point, one of them is Jeff Blashill, who's the third longest tenured coach in the NHL, which is insane when you consider how bad Detroit has been, whether that's been his fault or not. I mean, it's just, it's crazy that he would have more staying power than most of these guys. If it comes down to this, if, if Rick Tockett isn't here next year, given the fact that coaches don't last that long with their, with one team in the NHL, are you guys, are you guys good with a less experienced younger head coach stepping in? considering this team's core is still relatively inexperienced
2: and younger I think so it's got to be you know you got you, the credentials have to matter the ability has to matter it's not just that he's a young guy that can relate better to the players you still have to believe in the ability of the coach but yeah there's there's some logic to that look i've heard some some internal discussion that some of the players Maybe would like that that voice. They want to, you know, some of the. I think some of the players want to be able to play more with the puck and and not play dump and chase. We can, we can talk about the logic of that. Given the, let the players pick though. used to carry the puck through the middle of the ice. Yeah, yeah. But but maybe maybe that will be something that that will spark those guys. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think I, you'll, you'll see a situation here where you'll, the coach will grow with the team. I think it'll be a side by step, side by side move. And I, and again, that's why I go to Mike Van Ryan, who's had some of these players when they were in Tucson. Um, and so it's a familiar voice to them. And I see them growing together to be a competitive team in the future. That's what I think. I think bringing in an experienced older NHL coach right now would be a bad move. Um, for this team, I think, I think going younger and, I think that makes some sense.
2: Yeah. I, there's some people that have asked if John Tortorella would come here and I don't that's think not that's not a fit. Right. No, yeah, I don't. think I don't it's, see a it. fit. Um, it's, it's a fit for media. I'll say that. I would love to have him <laughs> <So> <laughs> be I can fun. talk to him. He's just one of the best quotes in, that the coaching
0: ranks have ever seen. Okay. So the Coyotes are going to miss the playoffs. They were eliminated this past week. And that means they've only made the playoffs once since 2012 as Craig puts in the notes. I mean, and last year was obviously a different year. I don't take it away from them. They beat Nashville in that series to get there. But now that you look forward with this group, who exactly are you, are you building around and, and how quickly can it be done? Because I do think there are some pieces here, but and it's tough because we haven't seen what what Bill Armstrong can do yet, but I, I think depending on what options are available to him, I think you've got some pieces to build around, but you've got to obviously be very careful how you do it so that you're not doing this rebuild again in two or three years. Having a piece like Jacob Chikrin with that contract and the potential to be you know the potential to be a top ten defenseman within a year or two. I know I, I mentioned this on Twitter, and people are like, "Well, we heard that about Oliver Ekman-Larsson a few years ago." Well, a Oliver Ekman-Larsson a few years ago was very good, and B they're not the same player, so it really doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, if you have a guy like Chickering signed through twenty twenty five on that deal, and you can sprinkle in pieces around him, and you have good goaltending, I don't know that this necessarily has to be like a five year rebuild, like like some people are thinking. But you've got some work
2: to do. Yeah. I mean, Jacob Chickering is clearly the, the piece right now. He's the number one piece that you're building around. Um, you mentioned goaltending. I don't know what the goaltending is going to look like for this franchise. Even, even next season, I don't know what's going to happen. But when you look at some of those other pieces, I, I still think they're going to try and re sign Connor. Well, he's, a, he's an RFA. I think that they're going to sign Connor Garland. I think he's going to be with his team. Michael Bunting is a UFA. I think they will try and re sign him as well. But, People have to be careful with Michael Bunting. I'm not saying that he can't sustain what he's doing. Although I don't think he's going to be on some like mid 40s goal per season pace. I don't think he's going to sustain that. Don't be fooled by the you know the I don't want to call it a flash in the pan, but he's having unreal success right now. I don't know that you can expect that from him. But he's a guy who goes to the net to the dirty areas. You need that element. So I think he's a piece you can build around. To me, the question more becomes. Some of those other pieces, the fourth and fifth year guys, the so-called Rat Pack guys, as as Rick Tockett identified them, what do you do with guys like Clayton Keller, with Nick Schmaltz, with Christian Dvorak, who was playing well earlier in the season but really dropped off in play over the last two months despite a, a short resurgence here? What do you do with those guys?
1: Yeah, I think, and another issue, Craig, is, is how many new players they're going to have to bring into this group next season. You've got so few defensemen signed, um, and that chemistry amongst a group is incredibly important. Um, I'm not sure if you can bring 10 new players into a lineup and have it gel immediately, especially when you're talking about the potential of a new coach with a new system and a new message. Um, there are some definite concerns for next year. Uh, there is, No doubt that this is going to be built around Jacob Chicken right now. I don't think any of us would have said that six months ago. I know I surely wouldn't have. I think I had a lot of questions about where Jacob's game was going. He's proven me, I don't necessarily want to say wrong, but he's he's been able to exceed and play better than the expectations I had for him in the beginning of the year. Having said that, defensively, he's still going to have to get better for a guy, his size to not be more dominating in the defensive end is a concern for me. I think he can grow. I think he can learn. I think he could be better there, but his game still has room for improvement. Offensively. We see what he can do, but he does need to improve on the defensive side of the puck. The bigger question, and both of you have mentioned this, that core group of the five-year pro, you know, where are they going with that group? Like Schmoltz, the injuries, is an issue like when he's shows what he can do offensively he is a gifted elite skilled player unfortunately those moments are so few and far between well, what do you do keller you know led the team in scoring the two previous seasons he's all but disappeared offensively um you can talk about garland the first 20 and the, the, the second 20 a different player um bunting has been exciting but what's his long-term ceiling I, I thought the best line recently like let's go last night you know the bunting garland Peterson line was fun to watch if I'm a coyote fan and we're not gonna win every night put those three guys on the ice let them work hard and and, and drive the net I can live with that um, so I think there are some pieces that will be you know, improved upon and they'll be okay and they're gonna work hard the the, the the window for them making the playoffs again. Gosh, they're moving divisions to the central. So their travel is different. They've got teams that are in different playoff windows next year in the central with Minnesota increasing where they're at Dallas, St. Louis, that's a St. Chicago is a team that's getting better. I'm not sure Uh, when, when they're back in the playoffs. I don't know. I know I got to say it. I don't know when they're coming back to the playoffs. And right now you're looking at the second longest playoff drought in hockey is the Arizona Coyotes second only to the Buffalo Sabers?
2: Yeah, I mean they made it last year, so that it wipes it out. Technically, um, they made the playoffs last year. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's had it not been for the, uh, the for COVID, they would not have made it last year either. And, and this is not going to be a playoff team next year. <sighs> can you even move some of those core pieces, PD? A small can, contract or a Keller contract?
1: We we keep saying those contracts are unmovable. Uh, honestly, I don't know. There are some teams that are going to have some cap space. You know, we talk about the tight cap, and I know that that's that's a real issue. Um, but there are teams that are going to have some room. You know, and can they look? You know, you Detroit, New Jersey, Ottawa, Buffalo, Arizona, Boston. There's teams that have a lot of cap space. Do they feel that a Nick Smoltz or a Clayton Keller gets them over? Um, I, I don't know. And, and furthermore, I think will be interesting to see who they expose to the to the Seattle Kraken draft you know is is Clayton Keller a guy you expose knowing he probably won't get picked up having said that maybe he does I, I think they will try to move all those contracts I think there is no one off the table I won't say no one Chickren's not going to get traded we've heard Barrett Hayden is probably um, not a guy that 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 they want to trade either but I don't think there's any contract there that they wouldn't be willing to move you know, from OEL to 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 Keller,
2: would you expose Keller? I mean, is that a, a a good strategy when you're looking at the expansion job? Maybe you're not wed to any of these guys, but is that a guy that you'd expose? You're, it, look, Seattle's probably not going to claim them. That's the thing. So
1: you're going to have to. You're going to come down to people like we just said. We're going to come down to Bunting and Garland and Kraus and those kind of players, which you might lose or Keller that you probably won't lose. Um, I, I've changed my thinking on the expansion draft almost uh, in 180 degrees. I said there was no chance they'd take a goalie from Arizona. Aiden Hill has played strong. Uh, he's young and they're going to need more than two goalies in Seattle. I, I might change my tune. I might not be too surprised if Aiden Hill ends up going to Seattle.
0: It's an interesting thought though on Keller because you know, you look at his numbers from year to year, and they're not bad. You you factor in the contract, and it completely changes everything. Like, they, they are not worthy of, of the money that he's making. And, and if you're the Coyotes and you're trying to rebuild with a new GM and $7.2 million a year to a guy that puts up okay numbers, but they're just not consistent, I do wonder what they're going to do with him this offseason because in a vacuum, you'd like to have him because he's producing offense. But, I mean, we've said this now, Craig, the last two years going into the season – The the end-of-the-year totals for me with Clayton Keller don't mean nearly as much as how he spreads them out. He'll have two or three great weeks, and then you kind of don't see him for a month. And then he'll have another two or three great weeks, and it's like the way he's being paid to be their best player, and he hasn't been their best player. And so that – should we know what he is by now? I know he's still young, but, I mean, did you expect to kind of still be wondering what he is, or is this just what he is? I
2: think this is what he is. Yeah, I agree with you. We should have known by now. And, and you know, Rick Taga was asked about him yesterday. One of the things he mentioned, and I've been I've been banging this drum all season. Clean killer's added added five pounds since his draft year. And I'm not saying you gotta bulk up because he's a skilled player, but he he doesn't win enough battles. That's that's one of his problems. And I, I think he could get stronger and that's that's look, that's about dedication in the off season. You you gotta you gotta really put the work in to get your body in a better place. I just yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say that Clayton Keller is a bad player. He, he is producing offense, but not to the level of that contract. And for right, you know, right or wrong, that that's how he's going to be judged now.
1: Yeah, when when John Cheika signed that contract, he clearly thought that there there was a lot of room for improvement in, in Clayton Keller's play. I don't know. You look at this contract goes through twenty six, twenty seven. Like that's a long time from now. Like where? How much more impact can he have? Can he improve that much more? Like, you know, he's still got the young legs and he's got an offensive mind doesn't get to the what we call dirty areas he doesn't get to the front of the net he looks great on the, on a power play when he can beat a goalie clean from the top of the circle but he's not getting enough of those grade A opportunities to be an offensive threat for this team and that's a concern again at the dollar value if clinton keller's your third line wing and you go oh yeah we'll put him on our power play we'll get him some good minutes but that's not the expectation of a guy making over seven million dollars so yeah i, I Absolutely, I think they expose him, or they trade him if they can. I, mm. I, I, I like Clayton Keller. He's fun he's exciting. But is there more um, that this team can get for that value? Well,
0: and there's a salary cap. I mean, that's the thing. This is not like the the Yankees ten years ago. Like, oh, we overspent on a guy, but you know, even though he's not giving us return on investment to what we're we're spending, we could still use him. Like, there's a salary cap, and this is the Coyotes. Every penny's got to be allocated pretty. Pretty intelligently, and, and look, I understand they can't all be Chickren's contract. But if if you keep Keller for his full contract, he needs to be better than he is right now because he is your main guy for the next seven years, right? I mean, there's there's just no way around it. They're not going to go out and sign guys for, or if it, if they do, it's going to be one other guy at some point for more than seven million dollars a year for seven years. Yeah, you, I,
1: yeah,
2: that yeah. Nothing more to say on that. What do you guys do with Christian Dvorak? I, I mean. I,
0: Look, like Petey said, nobody to me is untouchable except Chikrin, but I'm not trading Dvorak for the, just for the purposes of doing it. I, I think there's still something there, and you're not paying him that much. And he yeah. plays a position you need guys to play. If you could
2: put him in his proper role, I think he's a third-line center. If you could put him in his proper role, let him kill penalties, he's a good face-off man, I think he could be an effective guy for you. I, I, I am troubled a little bit with how much his play slid, over that two month stretch, that's that's concerning at you know at this stage of his career. Um, so you ha- you have to take a long look at that. But I do think he can be a good fit in the right role.
1: He's a guy that's had value around the league. He's had he's had interest from other teams for the last several years. He's a piece he can move because his contract's still pretty good. Um, but Craig hit it the nail on the head it's about where he plays in your lineup on a team that's competing for the Stanley Cup he's a third line center that can be out there on defensive draws situational play kill penalties expected to play 200 feet not expected to be on offensive threat then he fits and then you love him when you've got him in your top six you want more and there are glimpses that he can provide a little more but I don't think that's who he is I think we've seen Christian DeVar, and I like him. I think he can fit on this team in the right spot. And I think, unfortunately, the expectations have been so high on him because of the position he's had to play in the lineup and the players he's had to play with. I think the contract's attractive. I think it's a center position that they need to be strong at. I don't see him being moved over the summer. Caveat to that is he is one of the few that can demand some return, uh, and I know Bill Armstrong is looking for draft picks and prospects. So I, I think he's a Coyote next year. Uh, I'd be surprised if they traded him, um, and I, I think that that he's experienced enough here that they're going to need to hold on to him.
0: Peter, you you brought up how potentially dangerous it is to go into next season with like 10, 11, 12 new players because you need to have some consistency. And the name that immediately jumped out to me, I know we've talked about him before, but I think it's worth reiterating. I'd like to have Alex Goligosky back for another year if I could. I mean, you talk about Jacob Chikrin and how amazing he has been offensively. And I watched Chikrin and it feels like maybe he's not going to score at this pace over 82 games next year, but it feels like he's going to get three good scoring chances every night just by the nature of the position he plays, how quickly he can get the shot off. How well he gets the shot on goal now, and the fact that they run a lot of their offense through him. But yeah, like you're saying, defensively he still has room to grow, and I feel like he's in a better position to do that with Goligoski out there. So I don't know how much Goligoski is going to want, or you know, if he's going to want to go somewhere else if he's going to get a huge offer. But in a vacuum, I'd, I'd really like to have him back for at least a year.
2: I think Goligoski's camp is open to coming back, and uh, he's going to be 36, so he's going to it's, it's going to be a one year deal. That's just the reality when you're that age, especially current NHL but yeah I like I like the idea of making Jacob Chikrin as comfortable as possible setting him up for success he clearly has chemistry and a relationship with Alex Goligosky Goligoski is a good guy in the room as well I'm sorry to use that cliche but it's true with him he's he's, he's a good pro he really is and he's played pretty well down the stretch here too so you're not going to be able to revamp your entire blue line in one off season so maybe that's a safe bet in the short term but But when I look at this blue line beyond that, you know, and we can talk about Jordan Osterley because I'm amazed at how far he's fallen from grace in a very short period of time. To me, you know, people asked us, uh, I think, in the question, so I apologize for answering this one ahead of time. What are the greatest needs on this roster? Well, of course, you need a number one center, but you're not going to find that, you know, going out in free agency or probably not even through a trade to me, this team needs to add a right-handed defenseman for its top four, and it's got to be somebody that fits Bill Armstrong's mold too, of a, a brings a little mo- bit more of a physical element. That's a glaring need that uh, on this roster, in my opinion. I don't know what you think, Petey.
1: Well, I think there's so many question marks on what's going to happen on the back end coming into this off season, starting with Ekman Larson. Is he a guy that returns? You know, is, it, there's been rumors that they they're looking to expand his list to uh, – teams to look at so he can make a move with his contract that runs well into the future too. Um, so if you can solidify it with someone that's been here and comfortable here with Galagoski at the right dollar amount, I think you do it. I, I, I think he, you'll expect him. He's, he's clearly not going to get any faster, but but he can still make a good play out of the zone. And he's a smart player that prepares the right way as an NHL veteran. Uh, I don't think you're going to see Demers and, and Hammer coming back. So I think signing Golagoski makes sense. Um, beyond that, the physical defenseman, I, I can't recall. I mean, Labushkin provides a little bit of that when he plays when's the last time they've had that here it's Mm -hmm. been a long time and it's you need to have that element I don't mean a goon I don't mean a guy that's going to take penalties and take you out of games but that physical presence that can move guys out of the front of the net if you want to win in this league you need to have that guy Um, and unfortunately this team hasn't had that for a while so absolutely they need to go out and find somebody that can provide some physicality and hopefully on the right side because as you saw last night Soderstrom's not the guy. um great right-handed puck moving defenseman but he's not going to bring you that grit and physicality that you're talking about.
0: Yeah, let's uh, before we wrap up the coyotes here. Let's let's talk about the the three guys that were sort of center stage last night. Pete, you just brought up Victor Soderstrom and uh I mean I made this point on the post-game show, the difference between him in game 2 and game 3, granted you're looking at just one game samples, so I'm not going to read too much into it but he even said this after the game last night. His time in the AHL this season was huge for him, developmentally, just, you know, getting comfortable at the professional level in North America, putting some some muscle on and just doing a lot of things where again, it was one game last night. I want to see how he does tonight and then also, you know, 40 more games whether it's next year or the year after, but he looked like a different player, which is the whole point of the AHL for these younger guys.
2: Yeah, this is going to me this is going to be really interesting how they Manage prospects like Soderstrom. Um, to me, you, you saw Jan Yannick in the in the lineup last night. And it who it, it's Yannick? It's, Yannick? Wait, what Yannick? are we doing? Yannick. Yannick. This okay, is I, his own pronunciation. I literally it. asked him how he pronounced his last name Yannick. Okay, that's that's uh, yeah. We, we'll get. Uh, by the way, pronunciations will play prominently in the show today. You'll get a feel for that later. But he has got a guy. But yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> But with Jan, it's pretty clear he he needs more development. Soderstrom, you know, you you can't play, you you can't make any judgments off of one game. I'm really curious to see how they're going to manage their prospects because Bill has made it clear he believes in the philosophy of over-baking guys in the AHL. Will there be the temptation to put Soderstrom in the lineup next season because of their situation on the blue line? To me, I hope not. I hope that they have the courage to keep these guys in the AHL and allow them to play a full season of pro hockey away from the spotlight. Because first of all, they didn't get a full season in the AHL. It's been a really messed up year for those guys. So I don't think there's been enough work down there to get him to the point where he's ready for the NHL. Are they going to have you know the courage of their convictions to keep all of these guys down there for another year to make sure that they can fully develop?
1: I, I agree. Soderstrom, I think you saw glimpses last night of the player that they expect him to be. Good first pass, that goal, that move off the blue line was fantastic. His offensive upside is there. His stick defending was actually pretty strong. Um, I think physically he needs to get a little grittier around the net, and that'll come. He, he's, still, he's still a kid. So I think that part of the game will grow. But offensively, you could see w- w- why they drafted this guy. Like He's exciting. I thought he, he played really well last night. But he does need more time. And, in what happens when you rush him, now the game happens so fast, you get bad habits and you don't grow the way you want to grow with the confidence you want to grow into. Um, Jan, unique, not quite there. He tried to get engaged last night physically. He tried to make contact and, and play the game he's supposed to be able to play. He was just a step behind. Um, I think that it's more, it's important for him to have success at the at the American League level right now um, to find out exactly who he is, carve out what his personality is going to be and what kind of player he's going to be. So let's hope as Coyote fans that you don't get too ahead of it. Let, let's let them go down and have a full American League season with a full American League roster with good competition, good league play, and let's let them become the players that, that the Coyotes hope they can.
2: Yeah. How many times have we seen this from this organization in the past, PD? Yeah.
1: And you know, it's, it's, it's over and over. You know, you Peter Mueller, Chris Kalanos, Bodker, Tikhanov, Tourist. Like it's, uh, it's exhausting to see how many guys. And, and again, let's not blame the general manager or the coach. Unfortunately, sometimes they needed to put 20 guys on the ice and those guys had to play. There was no alternative, uh, guys, other guys pushing those guys down to the American League. They had to put mm. them in the lineup.
2: To me, I'd rather have just a cheap veteran in the lineup than I'd I'd find a way to make sure that I'm not sacrificing the future of my franchise because because I don't have enough bodies. I'll go find cheap bodies to fill that role. And what about... The the other thing I think about, sorry, Luke, uh, when I think about those guys going back, Matias Michelli is probably going to be over here. I like the idea of all these guys growing together, you know, developing a bond, chemistry. We've seen how valuable that is with some of the guys that are here now. When Garland and Bunting play together... They've got some obvious chemistry and that's, I think you can develop that at the AHL level as well. So, to allow that, you know, that group of maybe five players that we're talking about to play together for a full season in Tucson. I think there are benefits to that. And
1: you see that translation from the American League to the National League, that group, that, that's how the Tampa Bay Lightning were built. They won in the American League. They won with their American League coach. Everybody moves up to the National League and they succeed there too. So I think bringing that group and having success at that level is, is, is another way that you can help build a championship atmosphere team group a group of guys so I think that's a great idea Craig if these guys can mature together as a group and grow as a group and develop uh, as prospects I think that's exciting for Coyotes fans
0: Uh, Phil Kessel points 900 and 901 last night gets the breakaway goal as he said afterwards finally scoring on a breakaway but he's on about a 29 goal pace this season he's only signed for one more year I know after last season people were flipping out and being like okay what are they going to do they're paying this guy for two more years to do nothing He has this season made last year look like the outlier because if you go for his career over all those years at Pittsburgh and Toronto and Boston, there are a couple 34, 37 goal seasons in there, but there are some 23s and 24s. Really 29 goals a year is about his average for his whole career. Now he was big in the playoffs, especially for Pittsburgh's Stanley Cup year over San Jose, I believe. Yeah, that was the one where he probably really could have been the Consmite trophy winner, but in general, this year kind of looks like what you normally get from Phil. I don't think people should be that concerned about one more year of him.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny how that, that lens is split. Look, and, and Phil is who he is. I mean, it's not like you're going to get great defensive hockey out of him or other elements, but if he's putting the puck in the net, this team clearly needs guys who can score goals. So, yeah, it, it's not looking so bad to maybe have him around for one year, especially with what we know is probably coming next season. They're going to need a guy who can score goals.
1: I think – Valid points and, and it's great that he's putting the puck in the net and that's why they got him here. They didn't get him here to defend and he's his shot is lethal from from the top of the circle in the concern I have is something we talked about earlier. If Rick Tockett moves on, mm-hmm. um, their relationship is bigger than you might realize. Like in Pittsburgh, it grew and developed. And I think Phil really relied on Rick Tockett inside the Pittsburgh group. Um, that is the same case here in Arizona. I mean, Phil has a, you know, an ear that will listen to him and, and help get him through those patches. And I think Rick Tockett has been invaluable to Phil Kessel without him here. I, I don't know if that changes the way Phil approaches the game or, or what that does to his season next year.
2: Would Phil be open Do you think to moving if, if Rick Tockett moves on, because he's got a no move. Clearly he has the control, but if, if Tockett goes, would would Kessel be open and, And might there be some kind of market for him because he's on a good goal scoring pace. He only has one year left and and part of his salary is still retained by the Penguins.
1: Yeah. You know what? Possibly. I I might even go as far as say probably because that relationship is so tight. Um, And I don't know if Phil at his stage of his career wants to rebuild again. I think when he came in here, he thought the trajectory was a little different for this Coyotes team um, that he thought that they were, going in a direction that they clearly they've had a backtrack from now. Um, I would not be surprised if he were to waive that. Is there a market for a guy that scores 29 goals? There is. I, I think you find a way to fit that into your lineup. I don't think he's going to get premier minutes uh, on a club that's chasing, um, but those goals are valuable for any team. So the, the answer is yes. I think he would look at waiving. waving his no trade. Do I anticipate that? Probably not.
0: Right, let's get into some of these listener questions here. Uh, we'll start with, uh, we'll see. Well, Eldon, I, I, I'll read your question. We sort of answered it. And I think probably when we get deeper into the offseason, maybe we'll just do like an expansion draft show. But he, Eldon essentially asked, do you see a scenario where the Coyotes would expel, expose Keller in the expansion draft and any chance Seattle would take him? Um, non-linear donut ball delivery. The Kings have a ton of rookie talent in the pipeline. The Ducks have a few good prospects and acquired some more through trades. What the hell are the Sharks doing of the California Suck Trio they seem to have made the least progress in a rebuild. I didn't know California Suck Trio that sounds like a band from like the 60s or something.
2: I don't know that the Sharks actually committed to a rebuild as soon as those other teams. I just think they're at a different stage. Uh, Doug Wilson has has always been one to retool a roster and and try and make it competitive. When you when you look at the overall success of the Sharks, I know they haven't won, but They've been a, a a pretty competitive team for most of their uh, most of recent history. But I, I think they're just a little behind those other two teams when it comes to retooling and, and heading back north.
1: Yeah, it's a different it's a different makeup. And, and I think, unfortunately, they've got some some talent that's it's older on the older side. You know, you got Burns and Carlson and Marlowe. They're on the end. They're they're clearly on the tail end of their careers. Um, so I think. You know, they're, they're not, on paper, they're not as bad as people may think. I mean, they're not that far away. There's some young speed there. Um, I'm curious to see if they do finally make a change in the general manager position there in San Jose. Um, it might be coming. I wouldn't have said that a year ago, but I think it's getting close to making a change there. Um, this team clearly isn't on the same path as LA and Anaheim with the young, high, high, high end talent, but but once they can move some of those older pieces and experienced pieces, I think you'll be surprised at how quickly they come back.
2: How do they move them, though? <laughs> yeah,
1: you're right. You're right. And that's why they're they're kind of stuck where they are.
2: Yeah. Brent Burns is signed through 25. He's already 36 years old. Yeah. Eric Carlson is signed forever. Uh, Logan Couture is still a good player, but he's under contract for a long time. He's 32, so you expect a decline in his play. I mean, you talked about some of those – Younger players, I guess Evander Kane's young by Sh- San Jose Shark standards because he's twenty nine. Timo Meyer, but they've they've got some problematic contracts up there. Yeah. Well, they they got to do what
0: L A did, right? I mean, the thing with San Jose, they were in the Cup in twenty sixteen. They lost. They were actually in the Conference Finals two seasons ago when St Louis won the Cup, which everybody sort of forgets. Maybe they shouldn't have been there if not for that weird call in the Vegas game in the, in the first round. But I mean, you're sort of stuck in a situation where L A just rebuilt around Dowdy and Kopitar and Dustin Brown, that's kind of what San Jose has to do, right? They just have to say, okay, well, Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, Logan Couture are going to be here for a while. We have to retool around that. And you're right. They really haven't started doing that yet, but they probably need to start doing it now because we've seen them now seven times. We'll see them again for an eighth time tonight. They have some games where it's like, oh, okay, they got Kane. They got Hurdle. Like these guys can do it. But then you see other lines go out there and you're like, this is not an NHL line. That San Jose right, is running fine. out. There. even mark edward vlasic is signed through 2026 yeah. by the- i was i was looking at a list somebody had put out of the worst contracts in hockey and they had vlasic up there as number one which it might be a little extreme but he is signed for a long time yeah. uh, okay let's go with Let's go with Jeffrey Travis Twyman. Personally, I love OEL. It sucks how much the fan base has turned on him, but it's clear he hasn't been the same player since his mom's passing and Tippett leaving. Who knows what the real cause is? That said, I honestly
2: believe it's time for a split. He needs a change. Do you have thoughts? Well, uh, who's the coach next season of the Coyotes, first of all? Is that the change that maybe makes a difference? I don't know if it is. I, when I watch OEL play now, I just think he's declined as a player. And the, the game has gotten so much faster around him. Can he still be effective? Uh, Maybe. Uh, I I think he can be. Um, He's got that huge contract. But here's the other side that I I guess I don't understand from OEL's standpoint. The ownership group made it pretty clear they didn't want him last year. So when you get the feeling that a a franchise doesn't want you, why do you stick around?
1: Yeah, I I think, Craig, that's exactly the problem here with OEL. Um, I think it's time to move on. I think for both the organization and the players' sake, I think it's time to move on. Um It's unfortunate. You go back and look at the film of Oliver ekman Larson when he was playing on the power play with Keith Yandel, and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is an unbelievably talented player, and we've got him into the future. We're so excited. You know, he can go in with a bigger player into the corner and still come out with a puck. Offensively, he's gifted. He's got a little grit to him, and it just disappeared. Um, and Um And I know... People have a hard time believing things away from the rink can affect your performance on the ice. But if you go to work every day and you've got other things on your mind, it, it's hard to perform at work. And I, I don't want to give him excuses. I still think he's a talented hockey player. I just think to get his career back on track, one, I don't think he can be the captain anymore. And I know people might not want to hear that. It's time to go somewhere else where he's not the guy, he's not the captain, he's not the franchise leader in goals, points, games, all of those things. He just needs to go be a player. I still think there's some good years in those legs. I just, I'm not sure anybody's willing to bite that contract. And that's the biggest concern here for OEL.
2: They might have to eat some of that money. I wonder if they'd be willing to do that. Um, But yeah, and and again, I don't even know if he's willing to move. I mean, it's something that, I'd like to explore this. Off-season. Yeah. I don't know he, if he's he's okay. a guy
1: that uh, Craig, he loves it here. Yeah. He, he loves the city. He loves the franchise. This is the only thing he's ever known as, as a professional hockey player. Um, so it, it, it is difficult for him to say, Hey, here's a list. And to have to do that last summer or in the off season uh, was difficult. And I think that was a, an awakening for him. And I, I think some of that's reflected in his play this year. Um, I think he was disappointed. So, you know, I think there will be a list. Can you move the contract? I think we'll we'll see over time.
0: It's only 29, too. I mean, and I get what you guys are saying and what what, uh, what our, our listener said, too, of, like, maybe he does need a change. I, I, I don't know. But, I mean, he's only 29. I find it hard to believe that, that he's just, that this is who he is now as a player. You know what I mean? It's not like we're talking about a guy, like you're talking about Brent Burns before. His contract's going to end when he's, like, 41, 42. Okay, well, you know, then there should be, There should be a, a, you know, a downslide there. But if we're talking about the slide OEL has been on, it's really been since he was like 26. That's way too young for that to happen. So I do wonder how much of it is just like, I don't know. I just, I feel like something needs to change, whether that means him leaving or like PD said, maybe just, you know, let him just be a player. Although I don't know how you got, you take a guy's captaincy away and and, and not basically really mess with his head. I don't know, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um Dangle snipe belly writes in should a willingness to physically stand up for your guys, be a component of the captaincy. And should every team want Tom Wilson or a likeness of him on their team? I don't want to get back into the Tom Wilson thing, but I hate the argument that people make of, well, everybody would love him if he was on their team. That's not true. I hated Matt cook when he was on the penguins. And as much as Rafi Torres was nice off the ice, I didn't think the coyotes. I thought he hurt the coyotes at times like those playoffs. If they would have had him against the Kings in that series, I don't know that they win that series, but it's a much different series if they have Rafa Torres on the ice and he took himself out by being reckless. No, most teams wouldn't want a Tom Wilson. And also, guys can score when they're on a the line with Alex Ovechkin. Most NHLers can do that. I don't think you need a Tom Wilson to succeed in 2021.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you need that physical tough guy element anymore. I don't think we're getting back to the, the era of having guys that drop the gloves off faceoffs. I, I don't think that's where we're headed. I believe in protecting your teammates. I don't care how big, how small, what your role is on a team. I think that's every man's job. Now, as a captain and you're wearing a letter, absolutely you need to physically engage when someone is either, you know, going after your goaltender or your better players, you need to be involved. I'm not a person. I'm not – I don't love fighting in the game of hockey, and I know I'm the the odd guy out and people at work are always, oh, that's what the fans want to see. I never liked two tough guys shaking their head off a face off and going, hey, let's fight. Drove me nuts. That's a fan engagement thing. Now, if there's a bad hit or somebody goes after my goalie and then there's a fight, that's where fighting belongs in hockey. I think the ability for a player to stand up for another player is part of what keeps Player safety around in this league. If sticks start getting up high, then someone's going to come after you, and you need to expect that. So I think players sticking up for players is incredibly important, and I think it unifies a team. It brings a team together. Whether you have a letter or not, you need to stick up for your teammate. And it, ironically, if you want to see a team that's together, watch somebody get bullied and picked on and see how that team responds. Um, If they're right in the scrum getting involved, that's a tight team. If they skate away and go, eh. You know, he's on his own. I think those are the areas and the teams that you have to get concerned about their unity.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Every team doesn't need to run out and sign a bully. Every team needs to, you need to be able to defend yourself. And you're right. That's a huge component of not just the captaincy, but just generally leadership on your team. And it's a great sign that that team, you know, the successful teams are playing for each other. They're not all looking ahead to where they're going to be playing next year.
2: Calem. Uh, what is the one thing this team has to add this off season? To me, I already said it. I, I, I'd love to have a number one center. That's not going to happen. So to me, you got to get that physical element on defense, preferably on the right side.
1: Okay. Yeah, it, it, we've been talking about a number one center in Arizona for how long? I, I, as long as I can remember. So clearly, when the coaches and the management go in at the end of the season, this is exactly the exercise they go through. They put a roster up lines up on a board and say, okay, let's start filling the lines of the guys we have and what are our needs. And I guarantee you the two things Craig just said, a top-line center and a gritty right-handed defenseman are right at the top of the list inside that room in a week.
0: Uh, Michael, your personal favorite highlights of this
1: season? Ooh, that's i got to go with – you know what? When you talk about early in the season, with the the two big comeback wins over Anaheim, down three goals in the third, I think that gave you an idea of the the ability for this team to put up numbers on the board, and that they they had an, something that other Coyotes teams haven't had, and that's the ability to come from behind. Um, to me, that was the brightest moment early in the season.
2: I'm actually going to do a story on this, so I'm going to hold off on rattling off things. But uh, you know, Jacob Chickerman's hat trick is one that comes to mind, and then. Seeing some guys get their first goals, like last night for both prospects, was cool. And then seeing a couple guys who had waited a long time to get their first goal of the season, like Lawson Krause and Christian Fisher, that was pretty cool, too. Yeah, there was that
0: stretch late March, early April, where the chicken hat trick was in there. Like, Petey, like you're talking about the two come from behind wins. I think they were down by – they were down Great. by – yeah. They, so coming back huge on on Anaheim twice. And then what do they have? Four hat tricks in nine games, right? I mean, yeah, they, they uh, had four – it's it, That's absolutely insane. That's got to be the highlight of the season, that stretch right there, because you just don't see that. Um Let's see. Todd writes in, should fans accept teardowns, i.e. the letter to fans from the Rangers three years ago? I personally am a firm no on this one. I, I don't think you should accept repeated teardown over and over and over again, but right. I don't know. I mean, n- new general manager – I think if you want to get long-term success, I think you probably have to accept it to a certain extent. I just, I don't, I don't like the idea in today's NHL that the teardown has to be like, well, we'll see you again in 2027 when we're competitive. Like I, I, I'm not making stupid moves to try and be kind of competitive right now. I think in a way that's what set the Red Wings back so far. Cause they kept trying to sneak into the playoffs and extend that streak a, a few years ago. But I don't think a, a teardown in the NHL has to take years and years and years anymore, but you do have to
2: commit to it for a year or two, at least. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I don't think it can take that long anymore. When we look at the prime of players now and how, how much shorter that window is than we actually thought, like, like when you look at primes now, like guys that are past 28, they're not, they're not in their prime anymore in the NHL. So if you say, yeah, we're going to go five years down the road. Well, what does Jacob Chikrin look like in five seasons? Is he still the piece that you're building around? You need to have this. I think you have to have it a, a three- to four-year plan at most. You, you got to be able to retool in that period. And it's tough when you don't have a first-round pick in the upcoming draft. Uh, it's much harder to get that done. But I don't think you can have these long windows of rebuilding anymore in the NHL. Or You could just – be in an endless spiral
1: yeah i think what you're seeing now is you talked about speed and skill several times today alone like that that's how the nhl is drifting so you need those 22 to 26 year old guys with fresh legs and last night we were saying the most exciting line was the garland bunting peterson line well that's young legs and you've talked about teams ottawa look at their young talent they're a team that's you know in the basement looking at last, but the the future's so bright Anaheim with their list of players that are on the precipice of becoming something great. I think fans have to recognize that there's hope. I don't think when you say a tear down, I, I think that the, the difficulties when you're in between all the time. And unfortunately, I think that's where the Coyotes have always fallen. Where are we? Are we rebuilding? Are we going for it? Are, are we changing plans midstream? I think that's the difficulty. If you can see, gosh, we got a lot of young talent. Our American League team's on the verge of, of winning, and we've got some really talented players coming. I think fans can go, okay, that's fine. I can believe if there is hope. The problem is when you don't have the prospects or the draft picks or the guys coming up, that that's where fans get really frustrated. And you talk about rebuilds. That's all baseball is. Like, uh, hockey doesn't hasn't reached the, the, the levels that baseball teams are 30 games out, 40 games in in baseball like they have no business trying to win this year. They completely dismantle that hasn't happened in hockey. I, I think you're right. The turnarounds and the ability to get those young players ramped up quicker. I think you're looking at two and three year windows, not five and six.
0: I would also just add this too. I am all for the rebuild. And I think this is essential where you got to stock stockpile draft picks to to it's draft picks, prospects, whatever, however, the coyotes are going to approach this, whether they're going out and trading for established prospects that they have had their eye on in a different team system or whatever, however you're going to do it. I, that's obviously the centerpiece to a rebuild. Banking on getting the number one or number two pick is not the centerpiece to a rebuild that will keep you in that, in that routine forever sitting there and being like, well, I don't want to be good this year because it'll give us a better chance to win the lottery. No, no, no. That, that to me is not a rebuild. That to me is, at this point, is just a cop-out. The rebuild is go out there and get prospects. And if that means your team's not going to win as much that year because you want to make sure you develop them the right way or whatever, so be it. But trying to, to angle everything for a top-three pick, A, we've seen it doesn't work for certain teams – and uh, and B, it's it's just it's so risky. And every number one pick isn't Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. Although I would take Connor Bedard in, in three years if he if he's going to be available. Yeah. Um, Booper, do you think this rebuild will be as painful as the post 2012 teams were? I think we've already kind of addressed that. Um,
1: Answer yeah, right, no. By the way, yeah, yeah, those were painful, painful, painful. 2014 times.
2: 15 was as painful a season as I've ever had to cover.
1: You look at the roster going into some of those games, and you have. No chance. We
0: should you got Martin Erat at the trade deadline. <laughs> oh, I remember doing I, – I, Erat was the last guy I interviewed that, that year, and he was so – it was without a doubt the person I've interviewed who was the most sad when I interviewed him. Like, the season was over, and he was just like, I'm glad the season's over. He <laughs> had been a decent player earlier in his career. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, all right, Craig, do you have the pronunciation of – I'm not even going to try – Karel Vemelka, is that right?
2: Uh, here, let me, uh, let me adopt my Czech voice here. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, you brought that by hitting this. play. We brought it a ringer for this, so you, you'll plug this in. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, me... Cheryl, Cheryl has an important question here uh, among the uh, questions as well. I'm sure you've seen it already. Oh, is this, um, I don't have it queued up. Is this the relish on hot dogs? I, I can read this one because uh, I, uh, if you don't mind, I'll take over on this one. Oh, okay, good. Frivolous condiment question. Relish on hot dogs, yay or nay?
1: Are you waiting Um, for me? How many hot dogs does your fan base eat? You don't
2: get to weigh in on this, Steve. I'm sorry. You're having
1: protein powder one show, and we're talking hot dogs. Is a hot dog a staple of the Craig Morgan family's diet?
2: Well, it's, I mean, it's a Chicago creation, And don't come at me with New York hot dogs because of those street vendors oh, that, that, hot- that just store the hot dogs in like sewer water and then sell them to you on the street. That's disgusting.
1: Okay. I've never we had a New York, New York
2: hot dog. But we're not going to talk about New York hot dogs because those things are an abomination. So here's what comes on a Chicago dog, which is really the only hot dog you can eat um, acceptably, in my opinion. You can go. You can get store-bought. Like uh Hebrew Nationals are pretty good store-bought, but... If you're going to eat a true Chicago hot dog, here's how it goes. You start with a poppy seed bun. You get a Vienna beef hot dog. It's got to be Vienna beef. And then the toppings for the proper Chicago hot dog are yellow mustard, chopped white onions, sweet pickle relish, which answers your question, Cheryl. Yes, absolutely acceptable on a hot dog. A dill pickle spear, tomato wedges to me, not slices. You get wedges if it's a real Chicago dog. Pickled four oh. peppers and just a little sprinkle of celery salt. Wow! That's the, the dog hot dog. The listeners can't
0: see Craig doing that sprinkle motion. No, uh, no tomatoes on a hot dog. No, I think he basically- teared up
1: too. Literally teared up on air. That's amazing over a hot dog. <laughs> it's amazing. The answer from my perspective: no, relish on a hot dog. No. No, I, Craig, you and I are going to go. Eat. I, I don't remember the last hot dog I've had. We've had the, your oh, fan sure. base. I'm concerned.
2: Like I can't remember the last time I had a hot dog. Mm-hmm. You? No, Phil Kessel and
1: you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Craig, we need to do that sometime.
2: Well, I maybe? can take you to a place right by my house. Okay. But they're from Chicago, so you can't find ketchup in the place. Okay. Just saying. Moving on.
0: I used to hate relish on hot dogs. I don't hate it as much anymore, but I do think you have to have something on there with it, like whether that's onions or whatever, but no, no tomatoes. That's, that's just, that's basically ketchup
2: in a different form. No, it's, it's pure form. Like, like what is ketchup? Ketchup's, ugh, ketchup's disgusting. Even if, Uh, you know, Christian Fisher eats it on his hot dogs too. And he's from Chicago, which I just can't explain. Flying in the face of conventionalism. Continue
0: to kill him for that. Did you explain who this voice is that I'm going to edit in here uh, announcing the player's name? Did you mention that it's Redeem Verbata?
2: It is, yes, it's friend of the show, Redeem Verbata, who is apparently on demand whenever we need check names read properly. And so he did it for us in this case.
0: Carl Leymonko. Ethan,
2: I have a seriously
0: hard hitting fan question. I have three Coyotes jerseys, a reverse retro Keller, and a blank Kachina and home jersey. I want to get Kemper's name on one, but wouldn't want to now as he could very well move this off-season. Leaning towards getting Chikrin jersey on one, uh, and then he kind of goes on of of who who he should get on the other. I think is
2: a safe bet. Yeah,
1: but what if about that third somebody that's on the team next year? You better get Chikrin. Kemper, uh, honestly, he, he could be gone. I, I, I don't think there's any player other than Chickren that you can guarantee is going to be a Coyote next season. So go with that, and then hold the other one for another year. Yeah. Blank. Or, or can you get your own name on a pro jersey? Is that a thing? Here it is. Yeah, you can. I, I don't know. Is it a thing? I, I don't.
2: Just I make guess. sure you spell Chickren correctly. Oh yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, that's
0: uh, that's an easy one to spell wrong, apparently, because I've seen that. I've actually seen that a couple of times. Jalmerson, too, when he first got here, I saw those spelled wrong a few times. Um, I think that's about it, guys. There's, there's a lot of other questions that if we didn't get to them, um, I apologize. But for the most part, we did answer them. I just didn't read your name. We kind of answered them throughout the show. I, I will say Gilbert Anthony wrote in and said, I mean, since I can't get the expert analysis from Jamie Eisner anymore, there's no point in asking
2: questions. <laughs> that's, that's a bad question to end on.
1: Well, no, it, let, let's, let's just briefly, like I've, I don't go back and listen to these podcasts because I've heard it once, but so there's a theme song. Am I right, Luke? Like a little intro theme song.
0: Yes, right? there is. Yes.
1: And at the end of that intro, it says Luke Lipinski, Craig Morgan, and it yes. used to say and Jamie Eisner, which it no longer does. It doesn't. It says Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. Yes. So at what point, what is it that I need to do? <laughs> is it a is it a financialist we got to pay the voiceover guy, oh. or is it is it the hockey takes that you're not like? I just need to know what we we talked about. My name in the graphic clearly lost that battle. So there's a new graphic, no names, so I don't get that. And now the intro does not include my name. Concerned.
0: So a couple things. I don't know who voiced the first one. So all you need is to mimic that voice and say Steve Peters, and I will edit it in.
1: Or how about we do the Craig Morgan Natty Hattie voice, Steve Peters, and do it in in, in just a little pause with that over? We can have Jamie read it. It is I'm from Cole Harbor voice. Oh, just think think about it. I'm still trying to fill his shoes. I'm not quite sure. I'm gonna. I listened to two Jamie Eisner podcasts today, so I'm gonna continue to to build on my history and see if I can fill those shoes. You and Gilbert Anthony are the only
0: right. You and Gilbert Anthony are the only two people that listen to two Jamie Eisner podcasts today. (laughs) Yeah. um, So okay, so the logo we have, I think we're going to go with the one that Chris sent in, and I know it's a great
1: logo. By the way, it's really good.
0: It it is, and and to be fair, because who's Craig? Who sent the other one? Was that Todd?
2: Yeah, yeah. We got we actually got a couple submissions because I got them via email as well. But so thank you to everyone. truly thank you for actually yeah. taking the time to do that. But we had to choose one and, and Luke will tell you why.
0: Well, Chris sent that one in two years ago. So that was sort of when we when we asked, that was sort of the one we had in mind because he did send it in two years ago. But at the time, I think it did have everybody's name on it. And I actually haven't even seen the other ones that Craig is hoarding and apparently going to pass off as his own in a couple of years. And we have to switch logos again. But the the one from Chris, that was the one that we we saw. I, honestly, I think he sent it in 2018 or 2019, and so he resent it in there. So now we have it. I just wanted to make sure we could use it. Um, we can put the names on it, but Pete, as you saw, it's spaced out so perfectly. Oh, I, I felt it. like it's, it really looks great. it,
1: yeah. It's a really good logo. And those that are listening, they clearly know that we're all here. Luke, so I'm fine. I'm That's fine. It's true.
0: I, f- I figured no names. It's, it's yeah. like, it's like the Yankees don't wear names on the back of their jerseys because it's not exactly. about the individual name. Exactly. Uh, all right. And you, Petey, you didn't have a mystery for us this week. Usually oh, you I know it's Saturday. H-P-
1: and by the way, Craig, can I get, can I start getting paid by the hour? Good Lord, <laughs> are these things get long? I'm looking at the clock. Like, do people really listen this long? Somebody's going to have to tweet you and say, yes, I listened all the way to the end and I heard that bit. I'm
0: yes. Just- so- Somebody tweet in just so we can throw it in Petey's face that somebody did listen for an hour and a half.
1: Please do. Please do. Yeah, I'll bring my mystery show back for the playoff kickoff.
0: All right. I like it. All right, it's going to do it for us because it has been an hour and a half. So for Steve Peters, for Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Rapinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Trick Podcast.